Hi, everybody, and welcome to Plus Delta. It's Natasha. I'm back, Brian and Jerome. And today I was able to bring um, school board member Jessica Vaughn. She represents uh, Hillsborough County's District 3, um, and she's stemming some great change within our county. She was a teacher. She was a substitute teacher, um, and uh, she is a huge advocate for education, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to her today. Um, welcome, Ms. Jessica Vaughn, our wonderful school board member that has been gracious enough to share her time with us today. Uh, very excited to talk to you. Uh, so if you can go ahead and introduce yourselves a little bit for our guests, or not our guests, <laughs> our listeners, our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll kick off our conversation from there. Absolutely. Hi, my name is Jessica Vaughn. I'm the Hillsborough County School Board member for um, District 3, which is essentially North Hillsborough. Um, was elected and sworn in in November, so I'm on my seventh month. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me and for hosting this. And I'm really excited to talk about education. Sorry, Jerome, you looked like you were going to say something that I want to be my usual interrupter. So go. <laughs> no, no. I, I thank you for serving our community because I think that's very important. And, you know, I want to talk about how did you start, you know, your journey with education and going onto the school board? So tell us about that. Oh, my goodness. How much time do we have? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, you know, I was kind of a late bloomer. Um, I jumped into, you know, different jobs and then decided I wanted to go to college probably in my early to mid 20s. Um, got my prereqs out of the way and then um, decided that I wanted to actually go into mass communications because I have a podcast and I love communications. Um, but then I, you know, I saw the um, university, the, the College of Education, and I became friends with someone in there. And I just, I thought about it and how much I just, really love interacting with people and teaching them things. So I decided to go and switch my major and go into the College of Education. And I got my degree in elementary education. Um, and then I graduated, I started teaching first grade and, and kindergarten. And then I got pregnant with my son and I had him in 2012. And um, decided that I wanted to start substitute teaching before going into a full time job. So I actually started subbing in 20. Uh, 2013 and I just fell in love with it because I got to go to so many different classrooms and so many different schools and I got to be the PE coach and the media specialist and the music like it was a it was a much more extensive training process than my 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 college education mm -hmm. and at the same time because I was doing subbing I started getting involved in community organizing um, and politics and I actually founded the Progressive Caucus of Tampa Bay, um, and I started working on other campaigns, just helping out candidates that I really liked and supported and, and collating around the issues. And so when I started realizing what was happening to public education, especially in Hillsborough, I kind of thought, well, with my background in education and my community organizing and working in politics, it was all a, a perfect storm to try to, to run in my district. Plus, this, the seat was being vacated. So it's much easier if you're running in an open seat than trying to beat an incumbent. So it all kind of came together like that. So I would say, first of all, I feel like 
with a few differences. Like, of course, I've never been pregnant, uh, but you, you're like my twin right now because I actually started my college career in mass communications. I thought I wanted to go into advertising. Um, and then I ended up doing elementary education and I was teaching fifth grade. Uh, and now I went back to do my ed leadership degree, just finished oh, that. Wow. And I've been very much considering for quite some time doing some running for some sort of local office because the more that I get involved, the more I realize that it's not where it should be at all. <laughs> and it, uh, especially when it comes to local office, I feel like a lot of decisions about education are getting made, yes. but educators are not actually involved in the decision-making process. Yeah. <laughs> so is there anything that you would say was like a turning point or like a feeling or something that happened that made you decide this is what I have to do? Or was it just kind of like what you said, all the things kind of lined up into that direction? Um, I mean, I think that as I started to realize that there's a complete and utter attack on public education and how rapidly it's moving, especially in Florida, and what that means, you know, that um, although it's far from perfect and we have a lot of work to do, especially when it comes to equity in education, it is the biggest equalizer within our society. And I know that Absolutely. if we privatize it and we take away the, the standards we have been able to put into it um, and it becomes kind of, you know, the hunger games of which who's going to be able to get into what school, um, it's going to be a disservice to our community. So I think that, you know, once I really realized that how rapidly and how serious um, the attack on public education was, I just felt like I couldn't sit back and not do anything mm -hmm. about it that I had to get involved. And I think that what I'm hearing overwhelmingly is we do need educators in every in every elected office. And if we can't have actual educators, what we do need is to ask every single candidate, all the way from soil and water to our governor or the president, where do you stand on supporting and fighting for a traditional public education? Um, so we know, because it's not just at the school board, it is at the legislation and it is at the government. Right. So it has to, we have to make that an issue. Like there's, you Amen. know, all sorts of other issues that people collate around gun rights, abortion, LGBTQ+, um, whatever. We have to make public education a voting issue. And, you know, yeah. one thing that is very fascinating to me that I always think about, education is one of the things that everyone in America has experienced, whether you are from the U.S. or you're outside the U.S. We all have been educated in some sort of way. So, what do you think that you, being involved in some in public education, everyone has to know what's going on. Everyone has to be within the know. Well, I think the problem is is that there's been this intentional starting out of public education so that parents and 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 caretakers start to worry about it and they start to look for choices that are better mm -hmm. than what they might have and the reality of the situation is we don't we shouldn't need choices every single person should be able to move into a neighborhood and have the neighborhood um, school down their street offer quality education and be accessible for everybody and differentiate for all the students and be a safe nurturing environment and if we put that much time and energy into making our traditional public schools as much as we are into this privatization movement parents wouldn't need choice so it's like the the powers that be that want to profitize off education are purposely undermining our traditional public education so parents feel desperate for a choice 
Um, and I know that doesn't really go with what you're saying, but I think what it made me think about is why would people not really support traditional public education? Why do we have to get people to collate around that to begin with? And I think it's because it's been attacked so much that parents feel like they have to make a choice. Yeah, and so, I mean, I think, sorry, Natasha, I think it's also been almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy that people don't like fully see that happening. So like right, right now, I and I don't know the exact ins and outs of it, so I'm sorry if I make a mistake here, but I know Ron DeSantis just tried to pass a bill to give like a hundred million dollars or some ridiculous amount of money towards the private vouchers for the wonderfulness that is choice. But all that money could have gone to making the public education system that is quote unquote failing exactly. to make it better. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the more that we let public school systems fail, then of course we're going to want and quote unquote need that choice mm -hmm. because we've let the system fail. So it just becomes a full circle of it failed because we let it, not because it should have. I call it the cycle of loss. Yeah. But the more students we lose to choice, the less funds we have, the more detriment to our schools, the more parents get upset, the more they pull their kids out. It's just the cycle of loss that I'm concerned with. Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh, like when you said cycle of loss, it goes back to what you were talking about, of which was about equity and that piece that we're missing within that cycle of loss. What do you all think about that? Well, I have thoughts, but I know Natasha's been trying to say something. <laughs> <laughs> her platform. Her <laughs> I, well, I was just kind of um, wondering. So something, because Brian, Jerome, and I, we met in grad school for ed leadership. I didn't come from education. I was also a late bloomer. I studied public health. Then I became a teacher because I fell in love with working with community. And community is my my. I guess the thing that my heart calls to, so, or calls to my heart, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> but um, so my question is, something I've always wondered is, what can I do to make a difference? So I thought maybe go into politics, but I'm like, no, I don't know if I'd be good for that. What's something, let's say that you're not somebody who's actively involved in the political scene and you're somebody who just wants to work towards a difference. Is it educating the locals that you live around, because um, I believe I'm in your district and I made my family vote for you. <laughs> so, but, because um, I'm in the new Tampa area, but is it going out to the local areas around here and talking to businesses and educating them on what's going on? Or what are we supposed to do if we're somebody who wants to see a change in public education, but we don't really know how to go about it. Where do we start? What, what do we do? Well, I'm going to answer both questions. So first of all, I think you do what you're doing. You have a podcast, you find a medium, you find ways of reaching people um, and, and figure out, you know, how to have the conversations, how to educate them. Yeah, I'm always going to go back to education, even as a community organizer, um, you know, going into communities, asking questions, finding out what people are frustrated with. And that does go back to the equity question, because, you know, especially in marginalized communities and communities of color, they're being preyed upon the most when it comes to charter schools because in reality due to systemic racism within just our community and mostly in education um, those communities have been the most mistreated in the educational system mm -hmm. so for me you know what I look at is what's driving that you know because we have so many schools where there's not equity enough to begin with so first we have to look at how we zone schools 
and to make sure that we're we're zoning them where we have a diverse group of parents and um, support system and that we have diversity in our classrooms and diversity in our leadership and that we we push diversity you know into our schools secondly we have to look at schools where socioeconomically there's a big difference you know in those communities and we can't start from a formula of just funding everything equitably and then looking for entitlement programs to fill in the gaps and that's what we do we we get our money for our per pupil student and then we ship it out equally to each school and then our schools that are you know struggling or achievement schools or title one schools based on free and reduced lunch we throw title one money at it and we give them you know entitlement programs but those aren't enough to mitigate the inequity from the start so our starting formula should be should be based on equity the schools that need more should get more to begin with you know where they don't mm -hmm. have PTAs that can raise eighty thousand dollars in a year to supplement the other things that they're getting starved out with um, we have to give those those schools more so there's there's a whole lot of things that we have to do to address equity to begin with but mm -hmm. I think that as you educate people having that conversation approaching everything from the lens of equity um, is a good start that we can't talk about you know um, education and supporting traditional public education if we're not talking about the pieces of that we do need to do better at when it comes to equity um, and I think just you know talking to your friends and family to start with and and hopefully they're open to it you know and and, and listening I think sometimes listening is just as important as actually talking to people um, you know and finding out what motivates them what their fears are but again I always come back to if people just have a, a local elementary school or middle school or high school that they can send their kid to where they feel like they're getting cared for and nurtured and accepted in a great education like none of this would even matter we wouldn't even be talking about any of this mm -hmm. I'm quite verbose, aren't I? You guys don't know. No, it's perfect. It's everything no, we've it. ever yeah. thought and probably felt. Um, I felt like we're in sync. We're yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I just hope the listeners don't feel like this is so biased because this is everything we always say. We're always looking for equity and equality within education. And what can we do? Is it like we've thought, you know, what if it goes privatized, but then teachers are the ones who are running the things and it's actual educators, not politicians. Like, would that work? Or should it remain public? And then um, through public education, teachers can get more politically involved, can make the change. Like, what are the best ways to be able to find equitable education. And I think that's something we haven't found an answer to. I don't know, it's just, we. these are all the things we want, but it's like, how do we get there? And I think that you um, are telling us solutions and ways that that can happen, which is really great because it's hard to see it when you're standing at the, you know, the end of the tunnel and looking down it and it's like, how do we, how do we fix it? Like, what, what do we do to fix it? Like, we're just one person, we can do what we can, but. I think that when equity isn't just about socioeconomic or even racial equity, even though those are the two most obvious ones, um, it's also about neurodiversity equity to make sure our neurodiverse and our disabled teachers and children mm -hmm. and staff members have yes. the access that they need. Um, it's about, like I mentioned before, LGBTQ+. I mean, we just had a horrifying 
trans bill come out of, you know, out of state legislation. Yep. Um, that's going to really make our trans students vulnerable um, yeah. you know, for bullying. And they already have a higher suicide rate. So, you know, we have to understand that equity affects more than just, you know, the marginalized communities that we're used to talking about. And I hear what you're saying about private schools. And I don't have a problem with private schools. My son went to a private Montessori up until recently. I transitioned him into public school later because he is on the autism spectrum and he's neurodiverse. And I I felt like Montessori was a great fit for him. Mm -hmm. I am since pushing for public Montessori schools so mm -hmm. that can be accessible to everybody. That would be incredible. Sorry. And I don't even have a problem with some charter schools, like small, independently managed charter schools. Some of them are fantastic. Pepin, it provides such a service. Oh, great. Yeah. I love Learning Gate. I mean, there's a lot of small, independently managed ones, but I don't think we should be using a majority of our public dollars to fund them. And I also think that. We should have educators running our schools and we should do that by allowing teachers autonomy, making sure that our principals and the people who are running the schools are are from an education background and then voting for teachers all the way up on the school board for the first time, I think, ever in Hillsborough County, we have maybe five of us who, you know, I still carry my teaching cert. I know Nadia does. I think Sheikh does. Um, you know, um, member Han had, you know, was a, she taught at the college of education and, um, even member gray, like five right, of yeah. them were all teachers and have education backgrounds. So I don't think you have to privatize it to get teachers in charge. You just have to make sure those are the people we're voting for. And those are the people yeah. we're surveying and, and make, make, because I know when I was running, people try to put me down. They try Try to say mm -hmm. oh well this is a business side of it you know running the school board is all about the budget and it doesn't matter if you have teaching education and now i sit in these meetings where we're making like hard decisions on our strategic plan and talking about curriculum and i'm thinking anybody who doesn't have an educational background how could they even do this job like mm -hmm. they don't know anything about differentiation or modalities or engagement or you know those pieces that we have critical conversations about so i don't i don't think we have to privatize it here's another piece one of the things that we've worked really hard on is making sure that we have equality within our schools where we can't discriminate and a lot of these yeah larger charter schools, they can write any discriminatory policies into their handbook that they want. They can discriminate based on disability and say that they can't offer those services. They have even gotten to the point in some counties where they can discriminate on hair texture. Oh my goodness. Where, exactly. That's scary. That's very scary. Once you start to privatize and there's no accountability to say you can't cherry pick and pick who you think are the best and the brightest. You can't turn a kid down because he has behavioral issues in the past or a criminal record. Once, we, you know, if you privatize, you're going to have all these schools who are trying to pick the best and the brightest. And then you're going to have either subpar schools or a starved out a public education system where people who can't get into those schools are. And when you talk about inequity in society, that's just going to exasperate it. If you wanted this to be an advertisement, well, it's not. And we're looking for companies, businesses, even your dog to host for our podcast. Why do you keep saying host? It's sponsored. Oh, wow, Brian, I did not know that you were here as well. So Brian, can you please? Listen, I am always here ready to correct you. So yes, if there's anybody that can help sponsor this podcast so I can get someone better than Jerome to write some sort of copy maybe, Rude. we would highly, highly appreciate it. So I think that just makes me think too of the fact that you mentioned that like education needs to be more consistently on the ballot when you talk to both from local all the way up to president. 
Because when you think about equity, as you mentioned, not just in education, but socioeconomic, race, gender, all of that, disability, like all those issues get handled at the school. So anytime some sort of like bill or law passes about anything that has to do with race, gender, socioeconomic disability, and so on, the first place that it hits, the first place that gets handled is by teachers in the classroom with students that are feeling all those issues at home and how to deal with it and us helping the community, helping parents and all of that. So if education is not put in the ballot and put at the forefront, how do we ever make this society grow in any sort of way when for lack of better words, the builders of our society are the ones that are being held back and stopped from doing any of that. Absolutely. So crazy. Oh my gosh. You see that education, like Jerome also mentioned before, is the great like connector from everybody. Like everyone goes to education, whether it's just elementary, just middle, just high, all the way to college, mm -hmm. everyone receives some form of education. So that should be by far like the biggest connector in all policy because it, it drives everything else. And let's think about this, like schools are a microcosm of society. So then we're starting to see uh, these barriers that are being put in place within our schools. That's going to accentuate and is going to exacerbate within our society that, that we have problems. I mean, when you were referring to about textured hair, you know, when we're going to hiring jobs, mm -hmm. then if you have a certain type of hairstyle, then you're going to be discriminated against. You may not even have a job when we're thinking about uh, you know, disabilities mm -hmm. and learning disabilities and even physical disabilities as well, that that may uh, pigeonhole you to put, uh, put you in one certain type of job as well. So I think that we also, when we're thinking about putting uh, laws and things that are in place, we have to think about how is this going to affect the group of people and it's also going to help improve everyone's ability to succeed and have opportunity. I think that people miss that, you know, when we put these bills and legislation in place, that how is this going to improve the opportunity of everyone in this situation, not just of one, of one person or one group of people? Absolutely. You know, understanding our connectivity and how we all benefit from our society thriving collectively is something mm -hmm that should be part of our education system, right? Individualism versus the collective. Um, and I think that that has been kind of the, the, the foundation of America is that it's all about being independent and pulling yourself up by your boots, that straps and the American dream. And, and, you know, it's nice to have that independence, but at the same time, I think what we've lost is this understanding of how we all are related. And I think mm -hmm. we see that with the pandemic, right? Like the decisions that you make about your health, even though we don't know each other in the grocery store could affect my health. And, you know, mm -hmm. I think that part of education needs to be building that infrastructure of knowledge that as a, as a society, we do better when everybody is flourishing and healthy and well. And that if you look at history in general, in any history where there's been a massive divide of the people who have a lot and the people who have a little and you don't have this thriving middle class to support your structure, they've always collapsed, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and, 
And that gets into much bigger conversations about capitalism and the oligarchy and all of that. <laughs> yeah. um, if you, and also, you know, as education majors, you know, if you study the history of education, there's always been this pull in society of should we use education to like make a, a working force, you know, or should we right. use it to make like right. an educated populace who's going to advance society? And, mm -hmm. and sometimes, you know, the people who want to make a working force have more control. And that's when you saw like home ec and some of the trade stuff become really popular mm -hmm. in like the 50s it's because they wanted to you know craft workers who could you know make stuff and be in the society so we always have that push and pull but now i feel like instead of that normal push and pull it's just money where can we make money yeah. everyone sees yep. kids as a backpack full of cash which there's a movie about which you should watch if you haven't um mm -hmm. and they just want to profit off our children and the way that they want to do that is by cutting quality in a lot of these new mm -hmm. charter school, schools of hope the teachers don't even have to be certified wow that's scary that's extremely scary so we're just going to get anything yeah, I mean, we're wow. gonna lay off a bunch of higher paid teachers. They're gonna water it down. Soon teachers are gonna be like glorified daycare workers and they're gonna essentially right. just educate everyone through computer programs. I mean, you can That's always see that, that shift. That's it, terrifying. Exactly. It's we have all these instructional programs. Sorry, Natasha, go no, ahead. No, that's okay. I was just mentioning how they made in, I don't remember which state it was now, um, where they didn't want to teach about systemic racism or the current mm -hmm. effects of racism. Mm -hmm. That critical racism. Made my, that made my heart drop. I was like, mm -hmm. I bet you Florida oh, is going to yep. You should see the, yeah. the civics because our governor just changed the standards, which you'll mm -hmm. all have a really long training on. And yep. I think it's 12 hours. Um, and mm -hmm. with those changes, the civics that's coming down is all about how white Protestants are the ones who founded America. It starts to erase the Native Americans even more. Um, it's way more uh, Christian focused. I mean, it's we've already whitewashed history in our educational system. I mean, just go you, if you just go to the African American History Museum in Washington D.C., you'll learn a whole side of history that I didn't learn growing up, and you probably absolutely yep. But now they're going to do it even more, um, and and that's terrifying for, and that's why we should all be fighting. That's why we should, you know, be fighting for pro education candidates all the way to, from the top to the bottom. Absolutely. So, with that being said, seeing all the changes that are coming from the state to down, what are some things? in Hillsborough County specifically that you would like to see either change or if they're good continued, which I know it's a loaded question because you can ask that to a million people and we'll have like a list. <laughs> well, it's going to be a challenge, especially with this voucher expansion. Um, you know, I think that we really, again, we need to be intentional with our boundaries and redraw some of our boundaries. So we have some more functional, equitable boundaries. We have some schools that are massively overcrowded and some schools that have barely have enough attendance. So I think we, we need to redraw on that. But, you know, I really love, I love our magnet schools. Um, you know, I think those are what are really going to be what allows <laughs> with the charter schools because it just allows for that flexibility in the curriculum that a lot of our traditional schools don't. Um, mm -hmm. So those are kind of what I'm really passionate about. That's where I could see a Montessori program coming into play or, you know, just, just that ability to really focus in on what kids love and give them that extra, whether it's like, I, I mean, there's a, 
a monast I mean, a magnet school that I'm thinking of sending my son to, and they do like strings instead of a second day of of, of music, and they do mm -hmm. a cultural mm -hmm. dance instead of a second day of PE. <laughs> um, you know, where you get to go into a dance studio and learn dances from around the world. So I'm really going to focus and put a lot of love into our, our our magnet programs. I think we win awards all over the country for those programs. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm hopeful about those. But just in general, I'm hopeful now that we have educators on the board, even if we're not always in sync politically, that we are at least in sync about like how important education is and, yeah. and the best approaches to it. And we'll start to really be able to support our, our teachers, um, you know, and all of our school staff, because I know right now everybody's facing burnout and they're completely frustrated and overloaded. And I have teacher friends that are abandoning the, the career left and right. Um, so I think rebuilding up our, our our teachers and our staff who are the heart of our schools who we entrust mm -hmm. with our children every day and allowing them you know the space to to do their job and to also feel valued is you know that's really the most important thing in education or any business or any environment is appreciating the people who are doing the labor and the work and trusting them right. and supporting them yeah, absolutely. If you trust the people doing the work, the work will just come. Like everything happens if you're valuing the people involved. So and, and giving absolutely. what they need, you know, giving absolutely. supporting them, our teachers. Um, you know, I think it's gonna be a fight. I think we have some really rocky times ahead, but I think with this last election, we had such a shift that there's some hope. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for coming on to talk with us. Um, before you go, could you tell us what your plus and delta is for either the conversation, either Hillsborough County, education in general, so um, some areas for growth that we can work on either together as a society or um, just uh, hopeful thoughts? I guess. <laughs> well, I'm going to keep it education focused since that's been the conversation. Sure. Um, my plus is I am seeing so many people kind of awaken to the value of public education and really talking about it and fighting for it and investing in it and understanding that it's under attack and collating around it, that it gives me hope every day. I see mm -hmm. on all sides of the socioeconomic scale, of all sides of, of the racial, of, of, of different races and ethnicities. And, you know, I just see people People saying we do value public education and we've kind of been asleep at the wheel but we're not going to anymore and we're gonna fight for it and that is fantastic yeah mm -hmm. um, where I see growth is, you know, as much as we want to fight, we need more seats at the table. And we do need, as we've talked about, not just people who care about public education, who are in our community, but who are running for office and who can take those votes and who can stand up on the floor and make a case of why we should vote for certain things. And really, you know, just, just more people who support public education and seats of power, um, you know, and I hate that it has to be that way, but that's how our democracy is set up. So true. Everything you just said, all I want to say is like, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how can we? How can listeners find your podcast if they want to hear more? From oh, you? Um, so my podcast is Reclaiming My Mind. Mm -hmm. And you can go to www.reclaimingmymind.org. It used to be just like local candidates and local politics, but it's definitely gearing to be more educational now. Um, but I like to sprinkle in lots of different stuff. So perfect. Thank awesome. you, guys. Thank, Thank you again. You. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Pat. It's been great. Yeah. yeah. We will be back.
Hey, we just had a fantastic guest, didn't we, y'all? Listen, that was a great guest. And I know it's not as good as fantastic, so I regret saying great. But that was, Jessica's wonderful. Um, I had known a lot about her. Well, I don't know about a lot, but I knew about her from when she was running for school board. But just hearing her talk beyond school board meetings, but just in conversation with us was just wonderful. It's definitely brought a lot of positivity to what's going on in the district, even though right now I know a lot of us are not very happy with everything. Well, I'll, for me, I don't know if I would say that positivity is the word for me, but it gives me one hope that there is a person that is championing on the back of teachers that wants to make a difference um, in terms of education. It doesn't like what's the state that it's in right now and definitely wants change and change for to improve for everyone, not just for their certain agenda on, you know, who they are or a certain platform or um, whoever they represent. They're trying to see what is best for everyone. And I think that me, that's one of the personal things of why I went into education is that I wanted to help out and give back to society. And I felt like, well, if I can help develop children, you know, in some sort of way, mold and fashion them and give them, you know, advice and steps along the way, then I did something to affect someone's life and to bring hope and change. Yeah, absolutely. One of the Tasha, things you that... Think? Or oh. Jerome, you can not let Natasha talk. That's fine, too. I was <laughs> actually about to pass it to Natasha because I was going to throw a question on what Natasha was talking about in the conversation, Brian. Jeez. Always assuming. You know, that makes yep. an ass of you and me. Oh, my God. <laughs> hey, listen. Go ahead, you... Natasha. Okay. No, I want to hear how you were going to talk the buck. Let's hear it. No, Okay. <laughs> Listen, if we passed the buck, we wouldn't even know what even started this conversation. So it's best if you just jump in. <laughs> so, okay. So, Natasha, like, one of the things that I noticed when you were asking, like, through uh, your conversation was about accessibility and about um, equity. Those are one of the two things that you brought up. So tell me about what were your thoughts, the conversation that with Jessica Vaughn about equity and accessibility, where does that come from for you? Um, I think she was on point when she talked about equity being more than just the disparities that we think of between um, poverty and then systemic racism. There are so many other things out there that are barriers to equity that are not being talked about. Um, and I think that bringing attention to that is just another way to help bring awareness to the issues of what is going on. So then we can find some sort of a solution or we can grow to having the kind of educational environment that we, that we want. And I think that her talking about equity from a different lens than what everybody talks about, everybody just like, oh, cultural competence, very important. Um, racial disparities, very, very important. And then our disparities with poverty, extremely important. And then, you know, um, but you know, even I, I, 
I'm I'm special education certified, and that's not even you something. Know that. that, yeah, I was a special education teacher when I first started. So when I taught science, um, I did special education I'm in sorry. science. And I'm sorry, I was going to try not to interrupt. But Jerome, how do you not know that? The number of times that Natasha said <laughs> that during our master's program of, I started in public health, and then when I started teaching, my first teaching job was With in ABD. special education, ABD, and it was so much for me. Like, how do you how do you not know the story by now? Okay, I forget. <laughs> okay, sorry. Like, because sometimes when it comes to especially EBD, if, uh, listeners, if you don't know, it's emotional behavior disturbed it really really disturbed yeah yeah so okay from when i started teaching you know that was embedded within the gen ed classroom so i didn't know that was like specifically like uh special education and that you went that route so excuse me well you're also in elementary so they don't usually do self-contained as much in elementary is they do in secondary um and i went to an ebd alternative center um and being in an alternative center that was a little bit um i have to say it was a lot to take in for like um it was my it was i guess considered still my first year because i started teaching in the middle of the year so it was the beginning of the second year i guess i was teaching but i had only been teaching for six months and then i had to deal with you know saw issues relating to gang violence Um, you know, we got walked to our car by cops and stuff because, you know, there were local gangs that were going to come shoot at the school and and that were rivaling each other. And it was just um, not something I didn't think I was ready to handle yet because I didn't have the tools to handle that yet. Like, I didn't have the experience. But I went into a VE classroom, which is varying exceptionalities, and I taught students with disabilities, um, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I was like, you know what, special education is a great place for me. I just wasn't ready for that. Um, However, so when she talked about that, it was interesting because that's not even something that I think about when I talk about disparities within education. It's not something that even comes to mind. It's something I dealt with and I was so passionate about and something that I love to do, and a place where I do see issues with equality and equity within ESE students um, and students who have disabilities, but it's not even something that comes to mind. And if I'm someone who works in the field and that didn't come to mind, imagine how many other people that that doesn't even, you know what I mean? Like it was just kind of an eye opener. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about what you said about the disparities and not feeling ready, like you have the tools and stuff, I think, and, and stuff that's wonderful grammar, very professional. Um, but We're I just think podcast now, this is American life. right um but no so i think what you mentioned of going into your first year and not having the proper tools i think that's such a disservice to schools and teachers like if there is a situation that we need to handle then we need to be ready for that the moment like from day one i just think of like any other job and i'm not saying it should turn into this specifically but any other job they require you like 17 years of experience and do all these trainings and if this is the job that you're going to do you're going to get this program and this tool and this tool and if you need to travel we're going to help you with this to travel like everything you need is present so if you're going to work with um a particular set of students or in a particular environment or whatever it may be like the tools should be ready for you obviously not everything because a lot of it does come from us as a people business you know but if 
if you're going to be put into a place where you have to handle all these things, the tools should be given to you at the moment of hire. Like, this is what you're going to have to deal with. Here's how you deal with that, but make it your own. Um, I don't know if I worded that right, but I, I just really think that the tools should be accessible, not just for the students that are receiving the service, but also the teachers providing the service for the community. And there's a myriad of tasks that uh, teachers have to do. So, Brian, I definitely agree with you on that sense of making sure that tools uh, the teachers have the tools on what they need to succeed and be prepared for. Many uh, times, I know for me, from my own experience, that I did not know the type of class that I was going to have my first year of teaching. And I mean, I was thrown into the wolves and had to go through an evaluation that I did not know of. I didn't understand about the uh, Charles Danson rubric or teacher evaluation rubric mm -hmm. that many teachers have to go through. I just thought that I just uh, had to teach. But like what, what I say about that is about being prepared and giving the teachers what they need to succeed. And within that, Let's think about our communities. What if we give our communities the tools that they need to succeed? Well, I think that we'll definitely have a change within our society. Absolutely. You know what? I was reading. Um, I was reading an article recently on how to be more successful in different subject areas and how schools and, and subjects can be more successful. What are strategies and things they can do? And then I came across this report, and it said that like schools that come from or that are in Title I areas, or AKA areas of poverty, right. um, they usually have, they reported like, I think it was 40% of being able to have the tools that they need to be able to do their job, while higher SES schools were in the upper 60s, 60s I would say, which is still not great, you know, but I mean, 40%, 20% difference is quite a bit. And so schools and teachers don't have what they need to be teaching. So yeah, I think they should have the tools when they get in. I think part of the problem is, is that people don't have what they feel like they need to do their job as well. So I don't know if that in hand correlates, but I, I think it, I think it does. Yeah. I mean, if you're not ready for the job that you want or the job that you were uh, held to do, then how are you going to be successful at it? Uh, that's like, yeah, you like exactly. don't have the materials for it either. So you're not trained, you don't have the support, and then you don't have the materials. Yeah. And I think that goes along with a uh, lack of access, lack of understanding what our, uh, what our job entails. Um, I think about, the communities that we serve, understanding where do they come from, what do they need. I think that some people just look at socioeconomic as, okay, this is the number that we're going to look at, and this is how much money that they may need or may not need, and we're just going to go from there and then just call it a day, and they just have to do with whatever uh, services that we're going to provide, not and that's it, and not having that conversation and listening and having that understanding. I think I love what Jessica Vaughn said as well, that um, you have uh, two ears and one mouth. I definitely remember like my mom, 
uh, as I was growing up, she would say that, you know, God gave you two ears and one mouth so you can listen more than speak. I think that that's what the community and people have to do uh, during this time and having that time of understanding and reflection so then we can identify what are some problems that we have within our communities and why is it serving in this way? What can we change? What can we do? You know, I, um, I'm so glad that you noticed that because I don't know if it was because of my anxiety or what. I, I, I remember so much from the conversation and it's so weird. I didn't remember that being said, but it's, <laughs> it's a fantastic piece of advice. I think my brain was like trying to store everything that she was saying. And I was like, yes, yes. I'm so glad someone's saying it. I'm so glad somebody's talking about this. Um, so I think it's great that we have three of us here that can, um, you know, talk about what was said. Like, I would definitely want to go back and rewatch and re-listen to this interview. Um, just so, just so I can be able to listen to everything she said and digest it all. Well, absolutely. And I just think that, I mean, one, I took notes as, uh, she was speaking. So, you know, me being, uh, a student, um, a net, or as I call it, the Egyptian word, uh, netter, seeker of knowledge that always like try to listen, uh, for whatever we're having an interview or information that we're taking in. But no, I think that's a point that now I just lost my, you know, definitely my train of thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the point that I was trying to make. <laughs> that's totally okay. Speaking about the conversation that we had with Jessica Vaughn, uh, what were your thoughts about the cycle of loss that she was referring to of the state of education that we're in right now? Gosh, um, I think that's something that we like, we've talked about too, and something that we actually like studied back when we were in, in school. Um, I think that, um, what specifically are you are you asking about? Because like I, what have what have we lost in education? What are we losing in education of right now? What do we need to find? I think that what we need to find within education is redefine what education is supposed to be and what it's supposed to be doing. Because I think over the years, it's lost its way. I think public education has maybe forgot what it was doing. Like she said, it's about money now. So I think that the people at the top using, you know, good leadership skills, talking to everybody, everybody who's involved in this, which we're all stakeholders. If you pay taxes, you're a stakeholder. If you send your kid to a school, you're a stakeholder. If you're a teacher, you're a stakeholder. Everybody's a stakeholder. She was so right when she said every politician needs to make a stand on education. So I think that, um, I think education needs to be redefined and I think we should do what, you know, we were taught to do in education when we are working with the school and it, it, there, there needs to be a change made. You need to go through and define your mission and your vision. And then you need to find people who agree with that mission and vision. And you got to, well, maybe not agree because they can argue with you because that's the beautiful thing about, about being, you know, in our country, you know, we're able to say our opinions and we're able to change. Right. And go like that. 
but you need to find people who are vested in having a similar mission and a vision. And if they challenge you, it's for growth and not for pocketing cost. So I think that, that conversation, I think uh, from what I hear you say is that's where we need to start. I think so. I don't know. What do you think? Maybe that's a little too radical. What do you think? Well, I don't think that's uh, radical at all. I mean, people go to the grocery store and they always want to start off with, you know, some conversation of that uh, to the cashier. Are you working or hardly working? Um, You know, those type of questions that doesn't go anywhere at all. So how about we have some question that has some thought, (laughs) you know, or have a conversation on, you know, where it may leave some people to think. But I think that sometimes, you know, some people don't want to think. That's true. I think that's okay. I think that's okay. But I, but you need, I feel like you need to have a position on where you stand. Absolutely. Ignorance is bliss. I do have to say that. Um, I remember, I remember when the last administration came in, um, I felt like a little bit, um, I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm not going to go into the. Ms. Wait, policy. when you say administration, are you saying like the U.S. administration, like as a US whole, or Tampa locals, uh, state? 2016, country? 2016 election. Oh Lord, have mercy! So, You're bringing back trauma. <laughs> so uh, during the election, um, I decided to tune out politics for a while because at that point I had felt burnout. So I definitely did the ignorance is bliss thing for a while just because I felt like I needed to disconnect. But then once we got into grad school and I realized as an educator, there's so many things happen and so many things we need to fight for and stand for. I got right back in the fight. But the thing is, is for a while, I think for a good two years, two and a half years, it was just too much for me. And so I had to disconnect and ignorance was bliss. But then, you know, we get closer to a new election and we start realizing that changes aren't made. So there needs to be a balance between being involved in what you stand for, as well as, you know, all these things you see on TV, everything you hear on the news, being able to handle the day that you've had, the job that you're doing, and there needs to be some kind of balance. But for a while, it seemed like everything was just too much. So I don't know if that's just me or if that happens to anybody else, but that's kind of how I felt. No, I felt the same way as well. I mean, like, to be honest with you, is what I'm feeling right now, not from a burnout of uh, politics, so to speak. Um, I feel like there's a little bit of reprieve uh, right now currently, but uh, I feel like just a burnout from education as I read education books, but just of me just going through the process and just being an educator, uh, I feel burnt out uh, from that matter. And just, I feel like I've been pulling in so many ways that I've lost the lack of my control and I have to feel like I have to regain my stance. Um, And that goes along with uh, Vaughn was saying within our interview was that we have to take a stance and we have to, you know, think about where did we, where have we come from? What is the purpose of education and where do we go from here? How do we bring everyone that's involved and not just one group? My question is, how do we start a conversation with those who are unwilling to look at another side? I think that's a question uh, to definitely ask our listeners. It would be really great if we could have a listener who comes in. Maybe you support private education. Maybe you disagree with our viewpoint. 
it would be great to have you on talk to you maybe for a couple of minutes or you could send us a message or an email and we could read out loud and we could talk about it. I think that would be great because the point of this podcast is to have conversations. I've tried to have conversations with the other side, but it's, it's, uh, it's always been like an all or nothing and it, it became argumentative and, um, I don't like that. I don't, I don't want to be, it's a conversation, not an argument. It's not who wins. No, I, I think that it kind of shifts the lens of, instead of, of who's right and who's wrong, you know, what can we understand? Uh, what can we take from this conversation? I would love to hear from our listeners, you know, what position do you stand for in terms of education? Um, you know, from your point of view, why is education important? And um, again, you could be a parent, you could, you could be a teacher, you could be just somebody who is local business owner or just a taxpayer. We would love to hear from you and we would love to talk to you. We would be happy to have you come on the podcast, ask you questions and um, have a conversation and, and you can educate us on your viewpoint and maybe you could change your minds or maybe we could find something together that'll help us grow. Y'all, y'all, we didn't do our plus deltas. Oh my gosh, we did not do our plus deltas. So, I mean, I felt like that <laughs> through our conversation, there was definitely a lot of uh, plus and deltas. Oh man, I would say our flood, uh, my, my plus and delta is that I'm glad that there are people who value education. Absolutely. I am happy, especially during this time right now that I feel burned out personally, that I'm happy that there's someone and there are people who see that there's value in teachers. There's, uh, there is value within our system that let's try to improve it. Let's work on it together. So they're not giving up that fight um, and having that drive. I would say a Delta would be let's think about other people. Uh, let's not just think about what is the end goal for me? What is the best position of what I can do? Let's stop being individualistic. I, there are times that we need to think about ourselves. Absolutely. But I really want to start thinking about the collective and about what can we do to help out each other. And, you know, if our neighbors are better, then we're going to be better ourselves. Absolutely. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot on that. Say, I have to say, I think my plus for this was, and um, I swear I'm not butt-kissing um, because, you know, Jessica Vaughn's like our local celebrity. Um, but I think it's so nice to see somebody who's, who's absolutely genuine genuine about her viewpoints talking to her she did not look like and she is not a calculated politician like you see there's so many people you talk to that are in politics or you listen to it and they just sound like they're calculating everything you, they say and they're trying to find the right answer to like spit on their mouth no jessica knew what she was passionate about and she knows what she cares about and she knows what she's fighting for and it was so refreshing to see somebody like that in politics it made it put a smile to my face because I think we need that. We need people who know what they're talking about. She's educated. She's smart. She cares about people. She cares about community. Those are the kinds of people I want to see in charge. That's the leader that I want to have. Um, 
and I have to say a delta would be um, the fact that she said this is the first time we've had so many educators on our school board. Why has it taken it so long? How old is our district? And it's not just ours. Imagine other school districts. Why does it have to be a business budgeting standpoint? I know it's there, but I feel like by saying because you were a teacher, you can't do business and budgeting. I feel like that's putting down teachers a little bit. I feel like kind of insulted when someone says that. It's like they don't understand the skill set that we have. We don't need to have a master's in business to be able to understand how a budget works. And we know what is needed inside of the classroom. Those are skills that we can learn. But what you can't learn is how a kid needs support or how a staff member needs support unless you've been in the classroom and you've been in that situation and you've seen how it works. So um, I guess that could be reiterated as learned too, but I think the feeling you have, that love for kids is not something you can learn. You either have that or you don't. Uh, my plus to go along with you guys is definitely, it's a breath of fresh air. Um, it's nice seeing an actual person in office and not a politician like you said, um, Natasha, which I understand sometimes that politician mindset is necessary to handle different situations and like work the way that our democracy does now. Um, but it's, whether it's a school, or whether it's our national government, I think what we often forget is that it's not all about that budgeting, like you mentioned, but it, it's a people business. So to morph, yes, morph is a word, from my plus onto the Delta, we more, more of us need to be just people, not members of a party, not members of a career, not members of a city or a state, but just people and acknowledging all of our all of our needs as people and all of our feelings as people and to piggyback of what Jerome said, not just be individualistic all the time. Like, yes, look out for yourself, take care of yourself, but work with everybody while you're doing that. Um, so like I said, you guys took a lot of what I wanted to say, but I think it was just a very repeated message throughout the episode and through us talking that both of those things are definitely I think that we need to look forward to and work towards. Well, thank you guys for another great episode of Plus Delta. Yep. Plus Delta 3 Instagram, Plus Delta 3 Twitter. Follow us. Talk to us. Yeah. Love you. Bye. Bye.